1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing with Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director, here with Senior Editor Mara Levinsky.
0: Hi, everybody. Steph, I want to hear all about your night on the town this week with two very familiar soap names. Yes,
1: so I was invited to go to see um, Scott Reeves and Jacob Young perform at a venue here in New York called 54 Below, and so... I knew that Jacob was looking to do, you know, country music, so I hadn't really heard his music yet. As for Scott, of course, like he was with Blue County for all those years and so I knew what I was going to be getting from him. However, they were also performing with Scott and Missy Reeves's daughter, Emily, who as you will recall was on our cover like twice before she was even 2 years old. Right. Right. So imagine now that she's 25 and performing with her father. And so there were just like so many emotions about the whole thing. But I will start by saying if anyone has the opportunity to see the three of them perform together, they are amazing. It was such an incredible performance. It was an incredible night. Um, They wanted to make it more like intimate, like the Bluebird Cafe in Nashville. So it was the three of them with their acoustic guitars and each one would sing a song. Um, Let me say this about Emily Reeves, how somebody has not found her plucked her out of Nashville and made her a huge star is beyond me. She is incredible and so talented. But to watch Scott watching Emily and how proud he clearly was of her, like, you would die. So anyway, that was really fun, and they're so sweet. Scott was saying, I was telling Emily how she was on the cover when she was just a baby, and she's like, I can't even believe it. (laughs) I mean, it's just funny to think about, like, A, how long we've been here, how many, you know, to see people who had kids. And then now they're yeah. complete grownups. Yeah. So um,
0: I remember were... buying that issue on the newsstand. Both of them, actually.
1: <laughs> and she is adorable. I mean, obviously, anyone who has never met Missy Reeves and Scott maybe don't know that they are truly two of the nicest people, and they have raised um, a really great girl. So. That was really it was just fun. It was a really fun night. And it was great to catch up with them. And Jacob's doing really well. And he said he was going to be filming a movie um, during his downtime from B&B because um, he's actually recurring now. Uh, He was taken off contract, but he was really cool about it because he's got so much other stuff
0: going on. And his music's great too. I have to say, I got to know Jacob when he was on All My Children, playing the role of J.R. Chandler, and he became one of my favorites. Always, just such a, a genuinely, genuinely nice guy. Sometimes you don't expect that from someone who is so good looking. I have to say, yeah, know, you know right? what I mean. Um, but he was always so warm and gracious to me, and I've uh, and continues to be whenever I have run into him through the years. So, uh, very excited for what the future holds for him. And you and I got to see him as Lumiere. In Beauty and the Beast, did on we Broadway. ever? Yeah, that was fun. That was fun.
1: So today we're going to be joined by Tristan Rogers, who plays Robert Scorpio on General Hospital. Uh, something you definitely know about me is that was really the first show that I started watching, and I started watching it in 1980 which was really right at the height of Luke and Laura. That story sucked me in. So, of course, Robert was a huge part of that. So I am a Scorpio fan from way, way back. So I am super psyched to hear what he has to say about his character.
0: I started watching General Hospital a little bit later than you, but he was still so vital to the canvas when I started watching. That the first Robert pairing that I have memories of was Robert and Catherine Delafield. Do you remember Robert and Catherine? Uh, Please, of course, yes. I still sometimes hear the song I will spare you my singing voice but she sang a song I think with Frisco with the lyrics were like you went straight to my heart like you already knew the way I still it's like rings in my ears to this day but that's how much I loved Robert and Kate that 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 was like in my head and then to find out you know oh actually Robert and Anna and Robert and Holly were kind of bigger deals in the big sphere of general hospital it was amusing to me as a you know fan coming into the show that's funny because that's who I would say were my two
1: couples with him because I loved Robert Nana and, and I God I loved Robert and Holly and that whole story how he married Holly when Luke was presumed, presumed dead. dead in an avalanche. Yes, I mean <laughs> just that whole thing and then Luke revealing himself. I mean these are really I have amazing memories of General Hospital in the eighties. Um, uh, very. Famous story about my family is that my parents were not as on board with my love of General Hospital in the 1980s and... Um they really were not on board with my love of soaps. And they were always like, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> I showed them. And it actually became their favorite story to tell about how they like harassed me about watching soaps. And then it actually became my career. Love so that. that's my little GH story. But I So another GH story about that includes Robert Scorpio is that back in the day, there was a rap song called General Hospital. Of course. And when I was in camp in Kent, Connecticut, it came on the air every single day at the same time, like at noon. And it was the same time they were recalling us to lunch. But I'm like, no, 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 I have to hear General Hospitality. I mean, this was like before you could download a song right, and like listen to it anytime you want. So you had to wait for it to come on the radio. And they had like this guy who is not Tristan, but is supposed to be Robert Scorpio with this kind of like really bad Australian accent talking sort of in the middle of it. And I am not going to sing it for you, but I could still to this day do every single word.
0: I absolutely uh a, love that story, and B, love when Robert comes to visit Port Charles or Bern, Switzerland, in this instance. That's where we uh, first see the character or saw the character upon his return.
1: However, there's like a lot of fan reaction this time around to the story they're telling.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Robert was brought back as part of you know Anna's search to track down Heinrich Faison, who she believes is her son, who the audience knows is actually in Port Charles as Peter. And a lot of people are really upset at the introduction of this never-before-known-about offspring of Anna and Faison. And I totally understand that. I think it's always a risk to rewrite something foundational about a character that is as beloved as Anna is. And I know we've talked about the how you've gotten letters from fans who are quite prickly about the fact that if Anna had a kid with Faison before she was married to Robert, that means she wasn't a virgin when she met Robert, which was clearly established. And, you know, it it does tamper with something sacred to the audience when these kinds of decisions are made that contradict things that fans have always believed about a beloved character.
1: Absolutely. So I manage our sound off box. And so I get all of the emails from readers and letters I will say Fanola Hughes and Anna generate the most male period of any show, any Mm -hmm. character I get the most about her. So that is what they're upset about because Anna and Robert had a very specific and beloved backstory. Mm -hmm. And so they feel that this current story is tampering with that and they are not happy. And that seems to be what the thrust of what the complaint was in what I'm getting from our readers.
0: Yeah. And, you know, uh, I, I'll i admit when I first heard that this was going to be transpiring on the show, that I also was thinking about the through line of the Anna and Faison relationship and how, uh, you know, it was always driven by his love and obsession for her and her rejection of him, how he always wanted her and could never have her. And then we find out, oh, actually, you know, they were intimate back in the day and actually had a child. It's it's jarring. Um, but I do understand how from a writing point of view, there's value to adding a character to the canvas who is a blood relative of Anna's, and lives in Port Charles full-time now that Robin doesn't, and Robert doesn't. So I get that temptation.
1: Well, it's funny, because we talked about this regarding Days of Our Lives. So Vivian came back with a surprise son, mm-hmm. which is Stefan Cassadine. Mm-hmm. so same thing there. So they wanted to have another offspring of Stefano, because of Stefano and Vivian's previous relationship where she thought his name was Rudolfo, suddenly now they have a child. So the only thing that that does is kind of Contradicts Vivian's backstory because when Vivian came on right. back in the early 90s, she was obsessed with Lawrence, her nephew, and obsessed with Nikki, his son, who's right? his son. Mm-hmm. And it was because she had never had her own children. So now here we are, flash forward to 2017. And now Vivian arrives on New Year's Eve with this surprise son. Now, she had just found him too. So it wasn't as though it was someone she was hiding from the audience all these years. So there is, I guess, a level of, oh, okay, at least they're trying to acknowledge that Vivian did not raise this child and had not been with him. But I think it's funny. It's one thing for a man to have a surprise child like John, black on days and Paul so he never knew Paul was his son and he finds out well of course because he could have slept with a woman and she leaves and gets pregnant and you never hear from Mm -hmm. them again Mm -hmm. but when it's a woman it just becomes like well did she forget having that baby
0: right you really have to like you know twist the story like a pretzel to make that work you know I think you know on General Hospital he's like Sonny and Dante work so much more easily or Scott Baldwin and his various and sundry Karen and Franco and Logan you know it, it works better because that is just on you know uh, biologically more plausible uh, than it than it is for female characters and yet that's happened consistently on many a show Erica Kane and Kendall is another example um I think the most you know uh, the most pretzel like explanation was probably when they introduced Megan Gordon on One Life to Live as the daughter of Vicky and it had to be that she was uh, brainwashed and forgot not only giving birth but even being pregnant uh, to to justify that and they asked the audience to take this leap to give them another kid you know uh, and and hope that uh, that the, the pros outweigh the cons in the long run um, but I I I think it's a hard pill to swallow when, when, you know, you've known a character since 1985, which is when we met Anna, and now we're being asked to reconsider a lot of things that we always thought were true about her.
1: Right, but I think that's sort of the bigger picture journey that you do take with soaps because they never take a break; they're on 52 weeks a year. There's many years and many characters, and then you have to think like, well, what can I do with them now? Right. So I understand like a secret child is always sort of a great, you know, pivot right for the writer, but. I think the audience is probably so accustomed to it. I mean, for example, look back on, you know, in terms of like wacky tales or being expected to accept a lot. Look at the Ice Princess story. So they're freezing the world. And probably when I was a kid, I'm like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Wait, that black rock. I, I, I could not wait to see who was going to wind up with the statue at the art auction of the actual ice princess. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, y- you know, I was younger and I didn't know that much about soaps. And so maybe I thought these are the kind of stories they do all the time, but they weren't the kind of stories they do all the time. It was sort of mold breaking to kind of have these like outer world tales. Then you look at Days of Our Lives in the mid-90s and Marlena's possessed by the devil. And then that was so successful that then a lot of shows tried to replicate the idea and do something fantastical and it just did not work. Right? I think the what I always say about Marlena is that that character had been on the canvas for 20 years. So you were so invested in her that you were ready to take any journey that she was taking along with her. And I think it's the same thing with Anna. Like, we love Anna... And the audience loves Anna. So in order to see Anna in a story, I will sw- I will accept this. OK, this is her son. Now I'm going to go on this journey with her.
0: Yeah, I was talking to a friend of mine about how my feeling is that it. I understand, obviously, they wanted to bring Peter on in a certain age range to play him with other characters who were in that age range. But for me, I think it might have been easier to swallow had it turned out that she had this child in the years that we really don't know where Anna was, which is after she, Scorpio, and Faison were presumed dead in the boat explosion in 1992. Anna cried my eyes out at the funeral. And when she popped up alive on All My Children nearly a decade later, we really don't know about that time. Whereas the Anna that we met in 1985, the thought of recasting in our minds that this had already happened to her, it's a bigger leap to take. Well, why don't we see what Tristan has to say about it? wait. Let's Let's do it. Let's get him on the phone.
1: Hi, Tristan. Thanks for joining us.
2: Well, thanks for asking
1: me. We're so thrilled to see you back on screen. Um, it must make you feel good to see all the warm reaction you've gotten from fans and on Twitter.
2: It's great. Uh, it's, it's good to know that you're doing something that, uh, that you hope is working.
0: We were just talking about some of our own favorite Robert Scorpio moments. When you think back on all the sun, various and sundry storylines and adventures and all the things that make Scorpio so beloved to the audience, are there stories or moments that stand out to you as particular favorites?
2: I think, uh, ironically, the storyline I did back in 2006 when I first came back, that virus Mm storyline, that had a lot of potential. And it's funny, I was talking to somebody in the studio the other day about it, and it was probably the only story that I ever did that had a specific beginning and a specific end. All of the others kind of have a kind of a beginning, and then there's a middle part, and then Sometimes they end and sometimes they don't. But that one had a specific start and finish, and actually it could have been pulled out and used as video. I was surprised that somebody didn't do that.
0: Because it, it sort of uh, like would have functioned on its own as a standalone little adventure?
2: It could have been, a you know, a good two-hour
1: movie.
0: Now, Robert Scorpio is definitely one of the most iconic daytime characters,
1: not only for you playing him, but also just for his name and, <laughs> you know, what he means to the general hospital history. Um, What has it been like for you to run into fans over the years? Because you must meet ones who just remember those glory days of GH. What do they say to you?
2: Pretty much the the same question. You know, whatever happened, why aren't you there, etc, etc. And these are generally viewers that have probably lapsed, people that don't watch the show anymore. You tend to get more comments from the public in the form of, oh, I used to watch you all the time. And you think to yourself, yeah, you used to watch. (laughs) And this, I think, has been an ongoing problem with the remaining soap operas that are left, that they are losing viewers. And there doesn't seem to be any coherent plan to keep them or to lure them back.
1: When you look back at those early years on the show, were you aware at the time that they were so, that it was just such a special popular time with the audience
2: you were doing your job, and you you know—you made as much sense as you could out of the story, and you had as much fun with, as you could with it. But I don't think anybody was thinking too far ahead. Certainly nobody was thinking that at some point all the soaps would be gone. Nobody would have ever thought that that could happen, but it did.
1: But while you were filming those you know, iconic episodes, I mean, Ice Princess is something that today everybody knows about, and even Luke and Laura's wedding with Elizabeth Taylor there, I mean... It had to feel maybe this isn't being done on every other show.
2: Well, that's true. Yeah, you're right. But um, on the same plane, you you weren't thinking that you were doing some piece of you know iconic art.
1: Mm-hmm. It
2: was like uh, you were there. You know, you were doing. You were having a good time. You knew that what you were doing was being watched, and you know you re- you were reading some of the reviews to see what was being um, looked upon kindly and what wasn't liked. And so you drew your own conclusions after that. You had to, I mean, because you weren't given a lot of information back in those days.
0: I'm curious, did you lose your anonymity at that time? I mean, there was a level of celebrity, I feel like, that had to be surrounding you and Tony Geary and Jeannie and some of the other people who were really central and front-burning at the time that GH really hit that had to be a little bit of a startling experience for you.
2: Yeah, I, I I think 1981 was like the high point. Mm -hmm. I'd kind of never experienced anything like that in my life. You know, your privacy was pretty much destroyed and uh, everywhere you went, it became an event, especially when you left town. I look back on a lot of those moments now fondly because they're the things that most people want to talk about whenever I do a personal appearance they want to talk about what happened back in 1981 because, you know, it was, it was that golden moment for daytime. Everybody kind of was part of it. It wasn't just us. We were like figureheads, but every soap had its moment. They were all unique and they were all different.
1: But there was no other show that had a rap song um, sung about it that was <laughs> a pretty big hit on the radio.
2: Hey, there was no other show that had a front cover on Newsweek. There was no other cover that got show that had George Shurel I uh, sit down and do a photo shoot with them. I mean, yeah, we were, all, we were breaking all kinds of records back then. But it was happening so quickly, like it was something new and different every day that in many respects your brain kind of couldn't comprehend it. It's much easier to look back on it now and see what was happening moment by moment. But at the time when you're a part of it, when, you, when, you, when you're caught up in something like that, it's it's like a tsunami. Uh, you just go along
0: with it. Over the years in talking to people who worked on the show during that era, I've gotten the sense that, like, there was some, like, wildness going on behind the scenes. There were some shenanigans. Is that, do you think, an accurate impression that I've been given, Tristan? And how would you describe uh, what it was like backstage? <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, obviously, I'm not going to say too much, but... Um... <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was a lot going on. <laughs> <laughs> Gloria knew about it. And, um, you know, as long as it really didn't get in the way of the production, it was condoned. Um, if it got in the way of the production, it was shut down pretty quick. But I don't recall anything that ever happened that ever got in the way of the production. <laughs> I mean, everybody was ha- had their own little group, Um Although The Ice Princess was was like the front and and centre story, there were elements of The Ice Princess which everybody else was involved in. I think it's one of the few storylines I've ever seen where the entire cast was actually involved to a more or lesser degree in one storyline.
0: Well, when the Earth is going to be frozen and Port Charles is like the first destination, everybody has to be quite up in arms.
2: Yeah, that was a hard sell, actually. Uh,
1: <laughs>
2: I mean, I, I think everybody kind of looked at themselves and said, wait a minute, this is so popular. We're going to freeze the world. What the hell is that all about? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, it was like, OK, well, let's just take a deep breath and get on with it. And that's pretty much what we did. But, you know, the amount of fun, also the hours we worked back then were quite different. You know, we started like at nine in the morning and we finished whatever time we finished. So you were there quite regularly until after eight o'clock, after nine o'clock. And if it was a Friday, you could have be there till one o'clock in the morning. Uh, you just stayed there till you got it done, and in the meantime, you know, when you weren't on set, well, you know, the devil may play for idle hands, <laughs> and uh, that's kind of you know, you know, we sort of had to amuse ourselves.
0: <laughs> S- say no more. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um,
2: exactly.
1: <laughs> now we've all heard different stories about Gloria Monty. Um, what do you think of her when you look back, and how would you describe your relationship? She
2: she was an absolute, she was, a, she was the tidal wave. Not a lot of people respected what she did because although she didn't break the rules, she bent them. And there was a fierce group back there who looked upon soap opera as some kind of uh, religion and that you didn't mess with it and you didn't mess with the traditions of it and you didn't mess with the look of it or the nature of the stories. And then along comes general hospital and throws it all out the window. A lot of people did not go along with that. And they, they objected even more to the fact that, uh, the public loved what we were doing and they couldn't wrap their head around that. And so consequently, you know, Gloria mighty was a person not to be messed with. And, uh, you know it was her way or no way. And that was it. But she was what I would call a benevolent dictator. You know, I loved her for it. I loved her for it. I mean, you know she had her favorites on the show, and uh, you know she made no my no bones about that.
0: Were you um, one of the favorites?
2: Yeah, I was one of that group.
0: <laughs> all um, right. Fortunately, score. <laughs> and
2: you know, it it, it was a, it was a privilege, and it was something not to be abused. And you know, Tony and I got up to all kinds of crazy stuff. And you know, a lot of the rumors, a lot of the rumors you've heard are absolutely true. We never let that get in the way of what had to be done. And that you was know, we had to get out there and do the best job we could. And so that was a given, but. Given the way the the production went back then, and of course you could never have a production like that in this day and age, but uh, given what we were doing back then, um, you know, I I look back on that and there's a lot to be learned from it. Nothing negative, a lot of positive things to be learned from it. And unfortunately, you know, they're they're gone for good.
0: What was it like? I mean, people have such fond memories of that friendship, that relationship between... Scorpio and Luke and all of the adventures and so many of them uh, did involve going out on location. Do you have standout memories of being out on location with with Tony Geary and, you know, what you got into on camera and uh, and off camera?
2: I I think, uh, you know, going on location was the height of that craziness because there was a lot of pressure to get a, uh, a ridiculous amount of work done. You knew you could never get it all done. I don't think Gloria knew she couldn't get it all done, but she would, <laughs> you know, she would work really hard to get certain parts done. And then out would come the black pencil. And that would, she'd start editing in her head as she went along what she needed, what she could do without. In the middle of all of that was like, you know, these two idiots, <laughs> myself and Gary running around having fun. <laughs> and this was like a, a, a pressure valve. You know, everyone that was working real hard, and you basically had us. We were having fun, but we also created uh, a lot of humor, which is what you need on a production like that when you're out on location. On location changed all the rules because you know you you were, you were out of the studio, you had a decent sized crew, and you had a lot of work to do. And you knew you couldn't get it all done. So, you know, you'd be editing in your own head as you went along, and you would make, you would say, hey, can we lose this and do this? Because this is important. And 90% of the time, they would say, yeah, sure. You know, tighten it up. So, yeah, I mean, uh, there was a lot of, we did a lot of location work, Um, probably more than any other show at the time. And although I, argue about the effectiveness of locations. There was no getting around the fact that they were there and we were doing them and they became an important part of the show.
1: Yeah, they're very standout memories for me, I'll say. Um, Also, definitely your relationship with Fanola Hughes. I mean, Robert and are, there are just so many that are so wonderful and stand out. What do you think accounts for the extraordinary chemistry between the two of you?
2: I can't point to any one thing because it still applies today. Fenola and I are like a couple of comfortable old shoes. We just get together and it all comes back. You don't have to work at it. It just, it's all there. Um, I think in any kind of relationship, on television, film, wherever, there has to be a lot of giving on both sides to make any sort of on-camera relationship work. Uh, you know, chemistry is not something you, you go out and buy in a store. It's something which evolves from two people who just get the fact that, okay, in order to make this scene work, I can't be this character. I've got to be this character and pull back here. And the other person who you're working with is reacting to that because all acting is reacting. And... uh you, you you have to get into a kind of a mindset that in order to make it work, you've got to give. And I think we understand that very, very well. But it's funny, you know, you, you bring up the Anna thing. I kind of got very historic about that. And I said, well, let's not forget the fact that when these two came to Port Charles, they'd been divorced for uh, seven or eight years. There was no romance at that particular stage. And her appearance like shocked him. She was the last person in the world he expected to see at that point when that happened. And we set out to maintain that. We, we set out to keep that 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 that, that essence going. That it, it developed into a relationship where the child was like central, and they both worked at keeping the kid happy and protected and maintaining a, 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 what they could maintain as a family life. And that's kind of where we're going a little bit. The grandchild with Brooklyn, it, it's similar to what we had going with Kimberly.
1: Oh, your scenes with her are so uh,
0: charming and super precious, super precious. Um, I I'm curious to know what your reaction was when you found out that, uh, you know, per the current storyline that you would be coming on into, Anna apparently had a child with Faison that Robert knew nothing of the existence of.
2: Bit of a stretch. <laughs> um,
0: the
1: audience agrees. From she, Cotton.
2: <laughs> she and I sat down, Tina and I sat down and worked at the timeline and she said to me, the timeline works just And I said, okay. I said, well, let's just work with that and not try to write too many questions into it. Because if you really start to question the storylines, you're going to drive yourself crazy. Uh, So and this one, you know, I had a huge leap of faith in it. But it opened up uh, a number of other questions. You know, I've had a brief conversation with Frank about this. And he said, play what you think is right here. And I said, well, what I I feel is right is... She's told him something, and he's looking at her sideways now in everything she does. But, of course, that's not in the writing. So these are things that uh, Fenola and I have kind of had to add to it, uh, this undercurrent. And I don't know whether what's gone to where at this point, but there's either some scenes coming up where it gets pretty testy about that issue. You know, the, suddenly this guy's looking at this woman that he was married to and had a, ch- and had a child with, and he might be thinking to himself, is this child mine? And he might, not be, he might not be thinking that. But what he's thinking is, you know, I'm looking at this woman in a whole different way.
0: I remember, Tristan, when I spoke with you bef- right before uh, your on-air return, uh, you said that when you were making the decision to return this time around, it was important to you to feel that the Scorpio you'd be playing was the Scorpio that you remembered and that he'd be written with the edge, edge of sarcasm that we're used to him having, the sharp tongue, and so on and so forth. And I got the sense that maybe you felt like that had been missing in some of your previous returns. Is that fair to say? And how do you go about kind of ensuring that the voice of the character is authentic uh, to, to your memory of him?
2: Well, those feelings definitely came out. Um, and in the past, when uh, I came in for a brief t- period of time... I would set about to keep the dialogue within the realm of what Robert Scorpio was all about. It wasn't always easy, but I guess in 50% of the cases, I managed to do it. This time around, it's a bit different. I, I noticed right from the start that they picked up on a lot of the, the glib nature, the, uh, the, the smart mouth approach to things. He questions everything. And he's a complete wake-up to what she's pulling. And therefore, you know, he kind of does it with a wry look on his face. It's much easier to do that this time around because a lot of that is written into it. Yeah, I take liberties with it, and I add and subtract things to it. But when you've got something which is already going in the direction that you want it to go in, it's much easier to sort of subtly put things in and take things out. Whereas before, you had to make a bit of a departure. And of course, they don't like that. And you know there comes problems. But uh, yeah, I'm happy of where we're going right now.
1: Well, if you had your druthers, would you be back at the show full time? Or do you prefer these short term visits?
2: I'd like a long term stint to really reestablish the character. I mean, there's a lot of people out there that have heard of Scorpio but don't really know what he does or what he did. And you pick that up when you go out and do a personal appearance where, you know, be a couple of hundred people there. And they, a lot of people you know are much younger than the average audience was at that time. So you know these people are new and you know that they're not familiar completely with what you've done but they've heard of you, and therefore you know they 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 want up to, they want to look into it more. I'd like to be on camera for a bit longer and be able to sort of reestablish the character so that when he disappears again, they go, "Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I get that, I get what he's done, I get what he is. I get how he relates to the characters and they relate to him. It's funny we were talking the other day. I was talking to Maurice the other day, and he said, it's established that these two hate each other. I said, yeah. And I said, why don't they use that? Because there's a lot that could be written there. There's a lot of history. There's a lot of story about that dislike and what these two could be doing to each other. But I said, it seems to be lost. And he said, Yeah, I've brought this up and um it seems to fall on deaf ears.
1: I would love some Scorpio and sunny scenes for one.
2: <laughs> we've only had we've only had one scene really where we were about to get at each other and that was um that was back in two thousand and six. as part of the virus storyline. We've had one one other stupid scene where I'm sitting down having a beer with him. I said, You know, you'd be the last person in the world, Scorpio, to have a beer with <laughs> I mean he said, I agree with you. <laughs> but, however, <laughs> however.
0: You played it, I'm sure, well. All <laughs> well, right. Who would he more likely have a beer with? Faison or Sonny? <laughs> Maybe Sonny wins that and only that.
2: <laughs> um, probably Sonny, I think, under those circumstances. I,
0: I'm also curious to know where things stand with you and the Young and the Restless. I think a lot of people who are listening to this are probably Colin fans as well.
2: I don't know where I stand with Young and the Restless. Be honest, they have a they have a habit of when they're getting rid of somebody that it just ends. There's no resolution. You just aren't there. Yeah. Uh, and so, therefore, I have no idea. So, you know, Jess is there. She's talking about the character, but we don't know where he is. He was fishing, I think, the last time. So I don't have a you know I don't have an answer to that question.
1: I'm sure the General Hospital fans are happy to see you on GH and Absolutely. the Weiner fans can come tune in.
2: Yeah, I, I, you can't be in both places at once Not and be in an active story, and I, I think everybody knows that. So, uh, you know, I'll take, I, I'm back, I'm back home at the moment, because that's where the character is.
0: Well, it is really a joy to have you back on the show the second we saw you uh, My my face lit up. I know a lot of fans feel the same way. It's absolutely wonderful to have you back on the canvas. Thank you. And thank you so much for
1: all your time today. It was so great to talk to
0: you.
2: Thank you.
1: Have a good (laughs) day, Tristan. Tristan. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks to Tristan Rogers for being our special guest. Be sure to pick up an issue of Soap Opera Digest on sale now, and come back next week for another podcast, Dishing with Digest.